Hey, everybody. How are you? Thank you for tuning in. I continue to appreciate the support that I get. It's awesome to see more and more people from all over the world tuning into the show. Head over to the Instagram page at that curious Jones. Let me know where you're from. And tell me that you're listening. Definitely wouldn't mind hearing from you. My guest today is an active duty member of our United States military. He's also the recipient of two bronze stars with valor, as well as a purple heart that he received in multiple tours to Afghanistan and which he recounts in a book that he wrote called Ghosts of the Valley. His stories are raw and he wrote them initially as a way to deal with PTSD. Uh, and he's now finding that this has not only been something that's been really helpful for himself, but for others. And I couldn't be more happy that he was willing to come on the show and talk about this. And I hope that everybody goes out and uh, researches his story. Um, I hope everybody goes out and, and buys his book. Um, it's written really well, and it's uh, easily consumable. It's not a, a really long book, and it's, it's written in a way that outlines not only his actions, but the actions of countless others that were on the mountain with him. His name is Sean Tobias Ambrose. Enjoy the show. But before we enjoy the episode today, a big shout out to our sponsor, Action. Now, the obvious is, of course, that Action is some of the very best specialty coffee on the market. It's sourced from Guatemala. It's craft roasted in Austin, Texas upon your order. And then it's shipped expeditiously to your doorstep. But on top of that, Action has natural supplements. And I really want to highlight Active because we're living in a pandemic, folks. And the number one thing that I think is missing from the world and that Action thinks is missing is this focus on general health and well-being. So I'll put it this way. If you're not familiar with turmeric and hemp, and the powers of curcumin and CBD, which are the active compounds in both, you need to go and do yourself some research. And then you need to go to the website and you need to buy yourself, not one, but two, because it's buy one and get one half off, bottles of active. There's over 400 milligrams of curcumin inside of each and 10 milligrams of CBD, both very big and important compounds as far as anti-inflammation. And inflammation is one of the leading causes of mortality it's tied to cancer. It's tied to pain. Uh, it's also tied to COVID. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but lung inflammation is one of the leading causes of complication. So do yourself a favor, go to drinkaction.com and that's action with a K. Grab yourself some coffee. That's a given. And grab yourself some active. Use code word curious. You'll get 15% off of your order. And if you really want to get crazy, you'll sign up for the subscription. You'll have them send you your favorite coffee and some active every month, and you'll get 20% off. Drinkaction.com, action with a K, code word curious. Enjoy the episode, folks. Well, man, I, I appreciate you hopping on here. You know, it's, yeah, it's not every day you, you get to, well, first and foremost, thank you for your service. Oh, no, that course. goes without saying, um, you know, when I came across your story, um, I was instantly captivated. I read a couple excerpts of your book. 
um, Ghost of the Valley. And, you know, I think all of us in this world know somebody who's connected to the military, somebody that serves. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an uncle who served. Uh, he's still in the military. He served multiple tours over in Iraq. Um, I have a close friend that's uh, special forces and countless others, you know, just connected through school and whatnot. But um, a lot of the things that you talk about are, I think a lot of the things that people like myself and others have as far as questions of their friends and family, but out of respect, you know, they don't ask those questions. And for, you know, and I, I, I don't think anybody could really ever understand what it's actually like to be there. But I know when I was reading through your book, I mean, it's palpable. You know, I think um, I've watched a lot of movies. I've read a lot of other things, but the way in which you lay things out and really speak from not just your own perspective, but everybody's perspective, um, it is powerful. Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> I really didn't know what I was doing when it came to the writing portion. Um, you know, I'm a C average student at best growing up. And so um, I, I think that's what maybe made the experience a little bit more enjoyable for me is that I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have like a rough draft. I didn't brainstorm. I didn't do all those productive things that you probably should do when formatting a book. Uh, essentially, I just kind of sat down because my PTSD was starting to get to me. And I, I, up to that point, I had tried everything. And so I figured, well, maybe if I put my pain on paper, you know, people had mentioned it before, like people had <clears throat> said, hey, man, you got a pretty interesting story as an MP. It's kind of abnormal. It's different. Um, you could tell it from a different perspective. I think you should write a book. And for a lot of years, I just kind of took it as a compliment. And I was like, nah, I'm, I'm good. I don't really feel like putting myself out there and being vulnerable and have my information just for the world to see and be judged. I just, I'm an emotional guy. I care about what other people think. It is what it is. There's no hiding that. So mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to kind of go through that threshold of, of doing that. Um, but when I got here to Fort Leonardwood last August, it, there's not a lot of stuff to do out here in Missouri in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and my PTSD was starting to get to me. I didn't have anyone to talk to. And so I figured, well, maybe I put my pain on paper. People had talked about writing, you know, maybe I'll just, it'll help. And so there was no chapters. I literally just started from the beginning and started typing away. I didn't want it to be a biography. I wanted to specifically talk about the events that I witnessed and and the things that I saw. And I wanted to just kind of, if I was rereading this say document, you know, 40 years from now when I'm older, will I remember what it was like being in my own boots? And that's essentially how it was just kind of played out. And then I had people read over it, you know, um, just to like see what they thought. And people were like, bro, you got to put some chapters above some of these words and call it a day. And I was like, I mean, and then I started thinking about it. And and then so I, I figured, fine, I'll do it. But there were some asterisks. There was some underlying issues or, or demands that I had before I did it um, as far as it wasn't going to be about me. It was going to be about things that I witnessed, but it was going to be um, like kind of a leadership book. It was going to be about things that I saw other people do and it was going to give back somehow. So essentially my book is nine chapters of readable material. Um, it's fairly short. Uh, military dudes no, normally don't have the attention span. So I'm not trying to create some leadership philosophy book of something you've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. And so it's, and there's pictures too. So that always attracts people. Um, and so essentially it's only like 160 pages, of like readable material. The 10th chapter is nothing but websites, phone numbers, and resources. So if veterans pick up my book, they have that information. They can't say they don't have internet or a phone. They literally have everything right there. So that could give them an idea to go get help 
and there's multiple subjects. It's not just mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ultimately the very end state of it was that a huge portion of my personal proceeds that I get um, from my publisher are going to a foundation that was established for my lieutenant who was killed, uh, Tyler Parton. So people would learn his name, they would learn his story, and then they'd give, be given back to a better cause as well. So mm-hmm. hopefully so, this is just the foundation, but yeah. Yeah. So is there a process in which you have to take that up through with the military to be able to like go out there and talk about um, a specific battle, which, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of red tape that kind of goes through with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. So especially with me being active duty, I mean, I essentially do not have a freedom of speech. And so I have to ask for permission to speak. And so I wrote this whole thing and, and uh, I sent it off to the department of defense and they have a publishing section in the Pentagon and they cleared it. And then I had to send it, or they had to send it to CENTCOM and CENTCOM, they control um, Iraq and Afghanistan, all operations that run in that area. And then they had to essentially look at the battles, the things that I was talking, excuse me, I was talking about and clear it for authenticity that the battles actually took place, that these events are actually unfolded. The awards that were given out um, were all true to nature. And so once I got cleared of all that, it took like two months, it wasn't even that bad. And I got essentially like a memorandum from the Department of Defense saying I was good to go with with what I put in there. Well, I was thinking like that had to be difficult. And I didn't realize at first that you were active duty and I was watching some other podcasts and I heard you mention that. So the book is based around two different events, correct? Yeah, I mean, those that's the, I guess you would say the heart and soul of the book. Um, Chapter one kind of starts you out in a random battle, uh, my second deployment or like an event, just a, just a troops in contact kind of event, nothing too crazy. Um, But it's just to kind of throw the reader in there uh, in my mind, second deployment, where I stand. And then it flashes back to my childhood and just kind of very short chapter of who I am. So the reader could kind of understand that. And then it builds into going to my first duty station, coming down in orders to deploy, going to that first deployment, coming home, dealing with everything, volunteering to go back. And then the, you know, so there was one big battle, my first deployment, another, my second, and then the aftermath of it all is essentially just the, the wrap up dealing with everything and kind of where I am today. Yeah. Now, I mean, 2009, we were pretty much in the heart of fighting over in the Middle East. So, yeah. I mean, you definitely, I'm assuming somewhat knew what you're signing up for, but mm-hmm. I have to imagine, especially as MP, you weren't expecting to have the experiences that you've had to go through when you started. I mean, am I, I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's kind of what I was thinking, right? I mean, we're combat support. So I'm thinking like, okay, if I do go, I was always thinking Iraq. I always wanted to go to Iraq. Um, I always used to watch the the Marines in Fallujah and then these videos on week or on a, whatever that website is live leak and stuff like that. I used to always watch these combat videos. I was always interested. And so I always wanted to go there, but our orders to Iraq were canceled and we got shipped out to Afghanistan in like 30 days that first deployment. And, uh, and I knew nothing about Afghanistan. Um, cause Iraq was obviously the hot topic for the news media and stuff like that. And when I got there, we happened to be going to one of the most dangerous places in the world. Um, I mean, the mountain ranges in which I were going to threw back the Russians in the seventies and eighties, they defeat the British. I mean, literally empires have gone to these mountain ranges and completely have been annihilated, um, for decades. I mean, for years and years and years. And so, our lieutenant was kind of briefing us the history of these guys and the Mujahideen. I mean, they're just some mm-hmm. badass motherfucking fighters. They know how to fight and they're not scared and you had to respect them for who they were. And so, yeah, I was, but I wasn't really expecting to see as much combat as we did 
because we are a combat support role. Like you might see some here and there. It might be sporadic. It may not be as close. Doctrinally, that's how it's supposed to be, but it was wrong. I mean, we found ourselves in situations that doctrine normally doesn't find us in, but we, I was surprised. I, I, could, I don't want to say surprised because we had some damn good leaders, but um, I think the world or the rest of the army would have been surprised how we reacted uh, as far as our MPs, like got a lot of kills. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, was chilling, you know, reading through and, and understanding, you know, there's no way that, I mean, I, I'm sure everybody gets a base level of training. You understand how to f- mm-hmm. use a firearm. You, you know, you understand the basic in, in and outs of war, but yeah. you're not getting that same type of intense training that an infantry member is probably getting in SF. yeah exactly is it more just human instinct in in, that, in a moment like that that you're drawing on because I, um yeah i i think so but a lot of my leaders uh so i think of our entire company like 160 180 mps that had deployed i think like maybe three if i had a guess had ever been to afghanistan and seen that type of fighting the rest of them had been to iraq and they saw some decent amount of fighting, but the fighting in Iraq is completely different. I mean, Afghanistan is just the wild west. The way they fight, it's not, they never hit us with IEDs and would run. I mean, it was it was a gunslinging battle. They wanted to fight you. Um, and, and, and ultimately we found out over the years, they wanted to overrun you completely. And so a lot of it was just, yeah, I think just human instinct. Um, and, and a lot of it was training. Prior to the deployment, we kind of knew, had an idea we were gonna go to the mountains. And so we trained up that before that first deployment. Um, and we, you know, I was at Fort Carson. So we used Colorado Rocky Mountains to our advantage. And we'd hike up these things with full gear. Uh, we'd elevate, you know, get, get used to the elevation of our lungs and breathing and stuff like that. And um, just started to plant ideas in our mind of what we might see. So we had some pretty decent training by some amazing leaders. So it wasn't, it wasn't too difficult. Um, and we adjusted on the fly pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So up until the point of, so I guess maybe I'll fast forward, right? So the the meat of the story is really around a rescue mission that you found yourself in. Um, yeah. The time that you're in Afghanistan, um, you kind of expect a certain level of engagement possibly on what you're going to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, every, every day is it somewhat mundane, even though you're overseas, like leading up to what's happening? Or did you notice kind of a, a growing sense of tension in and around the area that manifested into that event. Yeah. I mean, the month before September, 2009 was presidential election. So that's always kind of a hot month for the country as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, yeah, we started to hear a lot of re- intelligence reports that were, there was a lot of enemies moving in the area. And so when our battle kicked off on September 10th, um, you know, less than a month later, right. Like literally less than a month, uh, September 10th was ours. October 3rd ended up being the deadliest battle in all uh, the entire war, which most people now know it as the movie, The Outpost, uh, Combat Outpost Keating, two Medal of Honors, Distinguished Service Cross, 27 Purple Hearts. It was the, I mean, it's just the craziest battle. And that was the unit I was attached to, it was 361 Cav. I was attached to Hatcher Platoon, different platoon, but same, uh, same unit um, that was stationed out of Bostick. And essentially this platoon, cavalry platoon went to, the Kamdesh, uh, Kop Keating and defended it against, it was, I don't remember how many Americans, but um, there's a platoon size element versus about 400 Taliban and the Taliban got into the wire and overran them completely. And then they fought them back. But 
So yeah, our battle essentially was a prelude to that. And it was um, less than 30 days before. And so the enemy fighters were using us as target practice for that major battle that they had already planned. So they were aware of your presence in that area. Oh yeah. And, and kind of proactively took some. Yeah. But that area was always real hot. That was that saw Valley, that, that, that particular Valley that this battle took place. Uh, This is when bin Laden was alive and he had a safe house um, in saw village which was a couple hundred meters away from the Pakistan border. So it was easy for him to infiltrate in and out, run operations, dip out, you know, kind of undetected. And there was an SF uh, uh, little base, not, not too far north of Fawbosik where, where I was at. And those guys were always trying to find this dude um, and running operations out of there. So, yeah, it was always kind of a tense area going through there. Mm-hmm. So I don't want you to, you know, give too much spoiler because I'd, I'd love people to just go out and buy your book. I know you can get it on yeah. Amazon. Um, they need to go and check that out. But I mean, can you kind of um, give a nice preview to what they can read and, and, and what that day kind of the lead up to and, and what you were asked to do? Just um, that battle in particular? Yeah, yeah, whatever you yeah. feel comfortable with. Yeah, so um, essentially, yeah, it was a rescue mission. The platoon that we were attached to um they had two squads up a mountain they were completely cut off and that's all the information we were told they had some wounded in action americans and uh an afghan army guy and that's all we were told we we got told we got activated to go pick them up be a kind of a kazavak or a medevac for them and, and take them back to Boston. it was supposed to be a quick easy mission um and then when we got on ground uh there was a first sergeant there that essentially was asking for volunteers and so um, in the book, I, I really paint a picture about, you know, this is chapter five. I talk about how um, the things I saw that day were from my perspective as, a, you know, it was all from my perspective, but it's, it, it really shows how much I, of a soldier, an 18 year old pride that I was. I wasn't making any cool decisions, leading the charge. It was straight. You know, I kind of watched it all unfold and they asked for volunteers and I was scared shitless because I didn't really know the situation, had no communications. And I watched these NCOs, um, you know, I watched my, my four team leaders volunteer um, as well as three of the cab guys. And so it kind of gave me courage, like, okay, well, I'll go. And so I, this deployment, I was made into a medic. I'm not a 68 whiskey medic, but I got to Afghanistan because the army sent me to EMT school. That was good enough. And so I volunteered to render my, my medical services. Um, and, uh, you know, as soon as we started walking up this mountain, the eight of us, we just immediately started taking contact from Saw Village, and it was just a, a Spartan race up the hill. And uh, then very quickly, we realized that enemy were really a lot closer um, in between the two elements um, within frag grenade range that we had to eliminate some of them in a cornfield. And when we did get up to the Americans, or the, the cavalry scout guys, we didn't know this at the time, but the snipers that we were going head to head against um, I, I, I don't know factual the numbers. I, I heard that the sniper we were going against had a couple hundred American killed and wounded under his belt. He was a Czechoslovakian sniper hired by the Taliban, very skilled individual who traveled with two additional snipers and about another squad element. And the squad element was essentially waiting for us to come up into this draw and they were going to just close us off essentially. And um, we couldn't get to them we were getting told that now LT was dead and he was laying out in the open about 175 meters from our, our spot and the three snipers were just trained down into this draw and we had no way of getting to them and the rest of the squad were kind of pinned up against the draw behind rocks and whatever they had 
And so, yeah, so we had to figure it out. And so we had to drop a huge smoke mission, kind of extract them. And, uh, and then that's when we started working our way down the hill where, um, again, I won't go into great, great detail, but we pretty much got fucked up the whole night um, coming down the mountain from Saw Village. And our first sergeant had to call Broken Arrow. And for those of you who don't know what Broken Arrow is, it's essentially a, it's an old Vietnam era term that it's not really official, but it just means that we're on the verge of being overran or overwhelmed and that if air assets don't come to our location, then, you know, we're all going to die. And so every air asset from, from Bagram came. So how much ground are you covering down the hill? I mean, you're talking about hours. Is it, you know, a hundred yards an hour? Is it 10 yards an hour? Um, no, it's not that bad, but like, you know, we had night vision goggles, but of course it was a poorly moon, moonlit night and we didn't have proper ambient light. Couldn't use white light because it gives our position away, which ultimately the Afghans that were with us used white light and it gave our position away, which is why we started taking contact. But, you know, we tried doing the infrared chem lights and spinning them so the convoy could see us. Um, you know, we tried everything. And so our, our method of trying to recon a route was essentially kick a rock off a ledge and we just listen to see how long it takes to fall. And if that seems like it's too far for our legs to crumble, then we're not going that way. It's either go left or right. Mm-hmm. And so it was a slow progress, um, it, but it did take a couple hours. But once the fire, bar- the barrage started coming in, we just started sliding down the mountain to get the fuck down at that point. So, and it got too bad that uh, we needed um, a C-130 Spectre gunship at F-16 to start dropping some payloads um, and cover a Black Hawk that would essentially have to hoist out LT's body as well as some of the other additional wounded that were in the rear, uh, because there was just no way they were going to be able to get down with their wounds. So it's intense, man. I um, was, <laughs> I, and you received a uh, bronze star for that, correct? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, bronze star with valor and a purple heart. And I know that's, you know, a probably, I, from what I was listening to, you know, that was a difficult thing at first for you carrying that around and. I mean, is it, is it more of a, like a survivor's remorse type of thing or no, is it? A, no, I just, I fucking hated it. I, I hated it because, well, you know, I'm 18 years old. I don't know shit about the world yet. I'm a fucking mm-hmm. baby compared to a lot of these guys. And a lot of these guys have done multiple deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan. They've served their country. And like I said, from the beginning, I didn't even, it's not that I didn't want to go up the mountain, but I was just being a scared little bitch because I didn't know anything. And it took the courage of my leaders to want to inspire me to go. And when I did go, okay, yeah, cool. I did some stuff on the mountain, but I wasn't the only one. So why am I the only one getting this award? The rest of the, all my other team leaders got ARCOMs with Valor. So why were there one less than mine when they, they, they're the ones that volunteered before me and, you know, they were up there with me the entire time. Mm-hmm. And so it, for a long time, it just kind of like, it made me mad. You know, people, there's obviously haters. There's obviously people going to talk about it. Um, people were, who weren't even in our, in our unit were like, oh, I heard this happen. Like, bro, like you weren't even on the fucking mountain with us. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know how it is, man. Telephone game just takes off and, and uh, it's just frustrating because it's one of the most difficult, if not the most worst day of my life. And I'm having to articulate it. Um, you know, back then it's easy for me to talk about now, but mm-hmm. it, yeah, it was just, it was fucking rough, man. And um you know, I just, from what I was told later on from, from my commander was that, look, you, you know, yours just was hired because you were performing duties outside your scope of practice. You know, you went up there as a medic, you're not a medic and you did these things. And so I kind of used that to kind of accept, um, you know, accept the award mentally for myself. And then same thing with the second one. Yeah. 
there was something that you had said um, in the book that really caught me um, where you had a moment with, I don't know if it was Mujahideen fighter, um, but some, an enemy insurgent where you could have just kind of quickly ended things, but there was a moment and it seemed probably a lot longer than it was. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming you've given a lot of thought and perspective to, you know, at the end of the day, they're just a person mm-hmm. in this world and that they're fighting for something that they believe is right. The way that we're fighting for something that we believe is right. And yeah. I heard a, a podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with Dakota Meyer. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Goddamn yeah. hero. Yeah. And he talked a little bit about that and I, I'd be curious, you know, I mean, I'm sure that doesn't go through your mind all in that second, but in the years since then, it's gotta be a trippy thing when you, when you think about that. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. In that moment, both my deployments, you know, even, even when I was a Sergeant, my second deployment, um, you know, you're young and dumb and you think that you're invincible and you, you think that you're the good guys versus the bad guys and, um, that everything you do is correct and perfect. And, uh, you're just like, fuck them, the fuck this, uh, you know, I don't know, just the mentality of it. I'm not saying it's bad or toxic. It's just, that was our mentality, you know? And um, yeah. And there was a moment, my second deployment during that second big battle in which we were completely surrounded and cut off. It was 16 of us Americans versus 150 enemy fighters or give or take plus. Um, and we were completely just on the verge of being overrun. I mean, they got within eight feet of us and um yeah, it was fucking rough to, even in that moment, to see him, see the enemy fire like that. Because then I started thinking, like, not, not that I disagreed with why we were there and that he didn't deserve it. Like, motherfucker was about to shoot me. So, I mean, I really don't care. Like, he got his. But, you know, I, yeah, I, in, in a mature fashion, I had to think, like, this is just a guy doing what he thinks is right, the same as I'm doing myself. Mm-hmm. You know, and so years later, as I look back on it, I've matured, I've aged. Um, I think I'm a little bit smarter than what I was back then. And so it's easy for me to kind of grasp those concepts and understand the bigger picture. So I don't regret anything, you know, and, uh, and you have to have that mentality over there, you know, just kill or be killed kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, it's all part of it. It's part of growing up. I'm sure there's some of them that are old now that have survived just like me sitting around growing old and body hurts and and they think of the days that they fought us, you know, so. Yeah, no, it's, it's got to be, I mean, not just a perspective enhancer for you, but I think it can be a perspective enhancer for everybody, you know, the impact that writing something like this must have had for you. And and you can share that, you know, as far as dealing with PTSD and and what is probably still considered a little unconventional, right? It's not typical, especially for, you know, people in your position to write a book and describe what goes on. But I think it's so important even for people on the outside who are really insulated to what goes on. You know, there's, it's cliche to say it, but people take it for granted. They take for granted the freedoms that we have here and it's on full display right now. And without getting political, I just think it would do us all some good to understand what actually occurs deeper than what we typically think about it. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's been rough dealing with PTSD. You know, sometimes you think you have a grasp on it and it's getting better and then it whoops your ass again. And it's just, I think it's a reoccurring cycle that never really will really end. But um, 
you just kind of have to find ways to combat it. Uh, you know, hobbies, talking to people, whatever works for you. It's, it's just, it's like anything else. You just got to keep working at it. And so this was one of the things, you know, and, and I, and I hope that this book helps someone, whether they have PTSD or not, even if, even if that just means having sympathy and, and understanding what soldiers go through. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been rough just because like I said, I, I don't like having my information out there. Uh, I, I don't like talking about myself, but it's almost like in a position that I'm in talking about a book that I wrote, you kind of have to, and you don't have a fucking mm-hmm. choice. Um, you know, I just hate feeling so narcissistic and, and then it, that doesn't really help my condition much at all either. But I, you know, I've had some great supporters in yeah. the community, both civilian and veteran that have just kind of supported the entire situation and have kind of been opened arms. And it, I'm actually surprised. I thought I was gonna get a little more backlash mm-hmm. again, just because there's naturally going to be haters and people are assholes and stuff like that, but I've been very surprised. And at least if there are, I, they don't say it to my face. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I mean, I would think that, um, you know, you're telling the story of a lot of people who aren't able to tell that story now too, right? Because, yeah. you know, you mentioned it and I, as the one thing that I really noticed is you wrote it from a we perspective. You really mm-hmm. talked about it from, you know, this is what occurred. And there's a lot of nobility in, in that just from self. But I think, you know, you're able to give a voice to the people that don't have one after that time. Yeah. And it's not even those that just, you know, that have died. It's just, you know, even though like the lowest soldiers, you know, there's a moment in the second battle where I'm, you know, I'm getting ready to go back out to the fight and, you know, I'm just talking about things that I'm seeing other people do, you know, it, the things that I don't want to say are taken for granted, but they're just forgotten and brushed over. Like my driver Garcia calling in close air support, you know, he's getting, He's getting F-16s to come in. He's calling in certain directions. He, he's calling their fly status from east to west. He's making sure they come in on, on uh, good uh, infills and exfills. My gunner, like an 18 years old, damn near almost not even 18, um, over here has got the most kills of the deployment. He's got 60-something kills. He's re-racking weapons. He's getting, you know, he's providing a cover fire for me to move. It's like I'm not the only one who did shit that day, and a lot of these things go unnoticed and these names go unnoticed. So even if I could just provide a fucking sentence – that mm-hmm. this guy did this, then, then, you know, hopefully I could tell the story of, you know, something that they did, you know, that's ultimately what I want is I want people to walk away from the book, understanding that like, this is just my story. It's a story. I'm talking really just two days of my two years there. And there's many stories like this. Some of people who are no longer with us that can't provide those stories and others who feel like they don't have a voice. Cause like you said before, I'm a senior non-commissioned officer. I'm considered not a very smart individual because I enlisted as opposed to to the officer status who are well-educated and can articulate their words and who normally get the book deals because they turn into high-level generals and stuff like that. But I'm not General Mattis or somebody who's providing a new leadership philosophy of something you've never heard before. I'm just providing raw stories from individuals who went into the shit. And I want people to understand whether that's, um, you know, the veteran community or civilian community, that there are some badass motherfucking Americans that have walked this face of the earth before us. Um, and I want them to know their names and that you should be happy that they're on your side for sure. That's awesome. It really is. Um, now you mentioned, uh, your Lieutenant who unfortunately passed away during this deployment, um, that you're tied to his organization and that this book directly benefits that. Are you able to share a little bit about that? Yeah, so the Tyler Parton Foundation, Tyler was, or I should say, LT was, he was very big into um, 
like the, the civil affairs uh, community projects. He, he loved hanging out with the kids. And so his found, you know, when he was killed, he had mentioned these things in a lot of letters to his family. And so his family started this foundation that essentially um, will give back to those children in need overseas and stuff like that to, to give them a better life. Cause that's what ultimately what, what Tyler would have wanted. So that's so cool. That's really awesome. So how much time do you have in currently? Uh, just over 12. I hit 13 next February. So I still got some time. Okay. You're going to make a long haul of it at this point. Yeah. I'm not doing anything else. Might as well. (laughs) Um, so I, I see you a lot on social media, um, doing a lot of motivation and things like that. Can you share, um, where everybody can go and find your social? And then also I know Amazon, but is there other, uh, mediums where people can go and find the book? Is there an audio version possible or, is that something you consider? Yeah. 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 So, uh, so as far as social media, they could find my personal page, Sean Tobias Ambrose, um, and then uh, the Ghost of the Valley um, Facebook page, titled Ghost of the Valley. And then same thing with Instagram, Ghost of the Valley Instagram. Um, and then my personal Instagram is Chief underscore Pink Mist. Um, so, yeah, I, I essentially use my social media platforms uh, lately to give back to the veteran community. So I've been partnering up with a lot of veteran businesses, um, people who are just starting out, who need help. And I essentially do like little giveaways and to, to hopefully spark their social media so that those veterans can be successful. So any chance that I get to help a veteran, you know, it doesn't have to just be a business. I'm trying to hop on and do that. Um, and I've partnered with a couple of different companies like Veteran with my boy Rocco. We're trying to help the, the health system for veterans and stuff like that. So I'm just trying to use my social media platform for, for that instance. Um, and then as far as where they could find the book, they could get it on Amazon. Um, and then the digital platforms, they could get it on Nook and Kindle. And then we are, we just completed the audio book because there's, uh, there's a book group on the East Coast and I know of that um, they're blind and they, they want to read the book. And so I've been working diligently to get them the book so that they could hear it. Um, and so it's all, it's all said and done. I'm just waiting for my publisher to essentially get it out there. Um, and then when it comes to the audiobook, we're doing something a little different. So my publisher hired a guy who's got one of those sexy voices and he read my entire book. And essentially when you read my book, like if you actually read the hard copy, as you're reading the book, especially like say during battles, there's some italicized verbiage as you read. And that's my internal thoughts of what I'm thinking in that moment. And I'm talking to myself and stuff like that. I essentially went and I recorded all that stuff here at a local recording studio and sent that to the guy. And so the book is going to be dual narrated. So he'll read it. And then when something's popping off in a book and my internal thoughts kick in, you'll actually hear my voice come in. That's so cool. I was going to ask you if you were going to, to do that. I've, nothing bothers me worse than I'll, I'll listen to a, an audio book and I'm like, Oh my God, you, you should have been a part of that process. And I, it's, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. That's really, really cool. I like the idea too, with kind of the, the internal thoughts. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully uh, everyone likes it. So. Well, awesome, man. Well, Hey, listen, I, I appreciate you coming on here. Um, wish you nothing but continued success. Are any plans for other books in the future or anything else down this road? Or is this kind of uh yeah, no, unless another deployment kicks up and something crazy happens, uh, this is probably it. I mean, I've pretty much told everything up to my life up to this point. Um, I've, I've been asked to co-author some books and stuff like that, just kind of help out with some like leadership type stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a process and I, I, I really put it all into this, into this one. So yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I want, I think my next call, I think the book, like I said, was a foundation, a base support, but I think my next calling is 
something with the veteran community. I, I don't know what it is, but I just want to help veterans. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I think leading, I mean, you're leading by example. So whether that's going out and speaking or providing, you know, assistance, just even through your notoriety, um, I, man, any way that I can ever help, certainly let me know. Uh, I'll post some links to all your stuff when this launches. And uh, again, man, nothing but success. And thank you again for all the service and uh, good luck in the future with everything. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on today. No problem. Buddy.